So I think there is something really powerful about names and being able to name yourself is such an act of empowerment, right? So there's certainly something that is that felt very empowering about it and hearing people, I think my most treasured um, moments was when like there was zero, you know, with the ones closest to me, there was like zero questioning about it. And even if it was a fourth name that I told them that I'm using now, it's like, okay, cool, great. Um, and that's it, you know? And then, and then the next time we see each other, they actually use the name. Because the, the system and the process of legal gender recognition is super expensive, it's very long, it's pathologizing, and oftentimes can be traumatizing and re-traumatizing, I've chosen not to do that, which means that on any kind of official document, so we're talking like financial documents, medical documents, anything that has to do with governmental institutions, my certificate, my PhD certificate, for example, is still in my old name. All of my... Um, publications, all of my keynote talks and any other talk that I've ever done at a conference is still under my dead name. We're seeing so many countries around the world, like literally rolling back um, laws that were put in place to access for, you know, gender affirming care um, for trans children in the United States. For example, we're seeing trans athletes um, being barred from playing their sports or um, engaging in their sports. In today's episode, join me in conversation with Dr. Foxmega, where we discuss their experiences with dead naming, particularly within official institutions such as healthcare. We also explore their experiences and reflections on the trans non-binary community. Names enrich with meaning, a part of one's identity and holds such importance. I'm Maya Mitzko, September Walford. What's your name? My name is Dr. Fox Mega, and my pronouns are they then. Fox, thank you so much for joining us on That's My Name, the podcast. This has been so long awaited. <laughs> so many reschedules. Um, and I'm so, so excited that we're finally sitting down here talking um, to one another. So thank you so much for making the time today. So tell us more about your name and how you tie it to your identity. Um, well, I think it's an interesting question because as a person who has chosen their own name, um, I actually, I think, have a very kind of personal connection to it on, on a level that maybe not everybody gets to have. Um, so... I I went through really a process of looking into um, different names that maybe don't necessarily have um, a gendered expectation, I guess, attached to them um, and haven't perhaps traditionally been used um, attached to a different or, or a certain gender. Um, so... Not necessarily androgynous sounding, but more like literally degendered in a lot of ways. Um, and so to me, fairly, fairly quickly, I realized that maybe this is because, you know, of the way that my brain works, um, but I very much connect feelings to sound. So I had a connection to 
kind of wanting an X or a Y X at the end of my name. And that's sort of the, the parlor got started with the process. And then I just tried them out, which I think is something that a lot of um, trans and non-binary folks can relate to. So really kind of going through a process of choosing different names, kind of trying them on like a piece of clothing and wearing it for a while and seeing how it feels and, um, you know, having friends or perhaps like if you order food, you order it with that name and just kind of seeing how it resonates in the body, really. Mm. Um, so I went through a couple of ex-ended names <laughs> um, and in the end ended at Fox, which to me, I love that it has the X, obviously. I love that it's short. Um, and I also have a huge connection to, um, I guess, the natural world in general and animals in particular. Um, I, I feel <laughs> in a lot of ways much closer to animals than I do to humans a lot of the time. Um, being a neurodivergent human, I think that's maybe something that's part of me. Um, so I also loved that, you know, I don't know, foresty and animal natured vibe of, of the name as well, even though like, I don't want people to see me as sort of a cartoony Fox character, obviously, like to me, this is real and true in my name. Um, yeah, but there is something, I don't know, like a, almost a spiritual connection or something or like a spiritual dimension attached to it for me. Um, that is certainly not cartoony, but very personal. Mm, mm. Thank you for sharing that Fox. And I, I definitely resonate with, liking to be in nature and and also kind of you know that connection with animals I, I I love that so thank you for sharing and you spoke about the fact that this was really a journey and you know you tried out and experimented with different names for example you know when ordering food you'd try out different names and see see how they kind of resonated and felt within the body and you kind of really mentioned that feeling that internal feeling how long was this process? So, you know, the, the process of you kind of trying out different names and landing with the name Fox, you know, was this weeks, months, or even years? How long was that process? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So it's kind of a, I mean, I think the simple answer, it was a years long process, mm -hmm. right? Um, and kind of going into a little bit more detail, it also really depended for me on, um, the spheres that we're talking about, right? So I kind of used Fox in sort of stealth mode <laughs> um, privately for a lot longer before I then ended up changing my name in a personal realm or in a person, uh, sorry, in a professional sphere. Um, and yeah, so I think it was like a step, step by step process. It started a couple of years ago, so maybe 2000. Probably 2018, to be honest with you. So quite a while. Um, and that is not going to be the case for a lot of people, but it was for me. Um, and I think it first was really cycling through a couple of names, which was a, a shorter process. And then really kind of deciding, okay, when do I feel comfortable kind of, yeah, like going one, almost like, um, coming out of my shell a little bit or something or like peeling back like one more layer right first it was the core people very close to me then it was um the larger kind of friend community and so on and so forth and then eventually i decided okay i'm i'm stepping into it fully um and this is me mm, thanks for sharing that and and how did it feel to kind of be like peeling back those layers and you know you mentioned in your your 
really personal core, you know, the core group of people around you, you know, you started using the name Fox with with them and then it kind of worked up from there all the way to kind of the professional realm. How did that feel when you kind of first started to use the name Fox and say, you know, this is this is my name and, and kind of be asked to be known as as Fox? How did that feel? Um You know, I don't know that there's an easy answer to that question. It was, um, I think it's a very, it's a very nuanced thing to, mm-hmm. to step into a new, I don't know, even, even like a new form of identity, I guess. I think there is something really powerful about names and being able to name yourself is such an act of empowerment, right? So there's certainly something that is, that felt very empowering about it and hearing people, I think my most treasured um, moments was when like there was zero, you know, with the ones closest to me, there was like zero questioning about it. And even if it was a fourth name that I told them that I'm using now, it's like, okay, cool, great. Um, And that's it, you know? And And then the next time we see each other, they actually use the name, which, you know, as a person who has been dead named and misnamed and misgendered so often, it's like, it's so relieving, um, even though that, you know, should be the standard, but there is cer- certainly a sense of relief and joy in actually somebody like taking that, you know, seriously and just without any question now using the name. So that was really, really cool. And then there comes a point where there is like a real tension mm-hmm. where I didn't yet feel like I had all of these kind of doubts about maybe losing clients that I've worked with previously or losing visibility um, because I am, you know, on social media and there is a certain amount of followers that I have and, and traction. People know me by a certain name. And so there's a question of, will that disappear if I change that name? Right. And at the same time, it feels like being dishonest to the people that I'm working with, that I'm consulting, et cetera, because it feels like, you know, almost being like untrue to myself while I'm talking about showing up authentically and not feeling safe enough to show up authentically. So it's complicated. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned dead naming there, and that's something that we've touched on in this podcast um, previously, but I'd love to dive in a bit deeper into that. So what is dead naming? Deadnaming is when you use the name that a trans person has used previously um, and and especially a person's name that they were kind of given at birth by their parents. Mm. Um, so that is on a birth certificate that especially for people who have gone through legal gender recognition and have changed their birth certificate, it, it is not no longer their name. It is not the name of choice and it's bringing back a part of kind of your former self that you have officially even on the birth certificate left behind, right? So it's a very um, invasive and very transgressive and very non-consensual act to dead name um, a trans person. And at the same time, um, our kind of world is set up in a way that especially if you haven't had access to or been able to go through legal gender recognition we are often forced to dead name ourselves mm-hmm. which you can imagine you know since i was describing it's a very transgressive act like doing that to yourself yeah has a real effect on you 
And on that, can you share some of your experiences with dead naming? Yeah, sure. So I think it starts at like really small things. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, you know, depending on also like during the process of changing names, depending on how you um, order things or who you get mail from. Um, so for me personally, I think maybe I, I need to take a step back and tell you that I haven't gone through legal gender recognition in Germany because I've been waiting for this law that is supposed to be passed that our new government in Germany, um, you know, has talked about since December of last year. And we're still not there. Um, the new self-identification law, which makes it easier, quicker and cheaper to access legal gender recognition. Um, and at the moment, that's not available to me. Um, and therefore, because the, the system and the process of legal gender recognition is super expensive, it's very long, it's pathologizing, and oftentimes can be traumatizing and re-traumatizing, I've chosen not to do that, which means that on any kind of official document, so we're talking like financial documents, medical documents, anything that has to do with governmental institutions, my certificate, my PhD certificate, for example, is still in my old name. All of my um, publications, all of my keynote talks and any other talk that I've ever done at a conference is still under my dead name. Um, so a lot of sort of the accolades, right, that you need in my line of work, if I want to refer to them, I'm always dead naming, naming myself. And that's just like one one bit of the iceberg, right? Um, at the same time, if I want to go to any healthcare provider, um, I need to dead name myself and not just dead name, but be either okay with misgendering myself or explaining that, yes, I, as a non-binary human, do exist. My identity is valid. I'm not the first non-binary person on this planet. In fact, we've been around for hundreds of years throughout a whole host of cultures, and there's definitely like a colonial perspective and a supremacist perspective to non-binary identities being very new and very recent. Um, and it's supremely dehumanizing to be sitting there, you know, with maybe wanting to have an appointment for like a regular cancer screening and, and um, having to explain to the healthcare provider who I am, what my identity is. Like nobody is required to do that, much less if I'm seeking, for example, um, treatment for mental health. And I live with chronic depression, mm -hmm. right? So every new psychiatrist that I go to see, I often first have to explain to them what my identity is or choose not to, which often I do because it's really tiring and therefore have to sit there hiding a part of myself, which is also, you know, um, exacerbating the symptoms of my depression and anxiety um, and not be able to actually get help and treatment for it. Um, not even to mention things like in Germany, as in so many other countries, we have an app um, to show that we have been vaccinated um, against COVID, which throughout the pandemic, as you and all of the listeners, I'm sure, well know, was kind of the the means to access a lot of things, um, you know, starting from going to a restaurant um, up until like venues and so on and so forth. Um, and because the name um, that is used for the vaccination is linked to medical documentation, it means that it has to be the name um, on the 
you know, the, the health insurance document, which again, because I haven't been able to truly access legal gender recognition without being pathologized or paying thousands of euros for it, um, I had to go through kind of dead naming myself and being dead named and being misgendered um, on a daily basis multiple times, which again, influences your mental health. It influences how you're able to show up in the world. It's extremely draining to do that over months. And we know, need to recognize that we're in the third year of the pandemic. It's not over, right? This is very likely to come back at some point, possibly soon, um, as we're, you know, in the winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and that's not even to mention things like travel, for example. So there are very, very little countries around the world that are actually able inside of their systems to work with an X as a gender marker um, in a passport, um, which people, non-binary people use, right? If they have been able to access legal gender recognition. And therefore, it means that you are essentially unable to travel to certain places not even to mention security procedures that are deeply dehumanizing because especially automated systems, but also humans aren't trained to recognize bodies that don't fall into like an easy um, and often falls um, binary of male or female, right? There's just no, we again, we don't exist. All of these systems essentially signal to non-binary people that we are not part of humanity, mm-hmm. which is false and shouldn't be the case. Yeah, definitely. And I'm personally very interested in mental health. My degree, my first degree is in psychology. And I'm interested to hear, you know, you've shared your experiences with psychiatrists and, you know, either having to kind of go through the whole kind of explanation of your identity and so on. And and how you know how in general how is a psychiatrist responding to you like do they are they coming from a place of like understanding and willingness to listen or do they not understand like I'm I'm interested to see and understand where the kind of mental health industry is in terms of supporting the non-binary community. So in my experience. Um, and I have a long history of, of mental health care. Um, I, right now, I'm very fortunate to have a therapist who is super open and who I feel safe with. Um, but even with her, I am her first non-binary mm-hmm. patient. So I'm needing to kind of educate her. And I know that she's open and I know that she's caring and I know that she's also educating herself, which I um, appreciate and still... There are moments where I have to, or I, I had to, because we've worked together for a while, I had to correct her in using my pronouns or in using the pronouns of my partner or, you know, people in my community. Um, and I also keep having to educate people on gender dysphoria, on the mental health aspects of, you know, what is known as minority stress, which I'm sure... Um, through your degree you're you're familiar with um and like all of these ways in which a society that is a dominant culture of heterosexuality and cisgendered people um are signaling and acting in ways that are infringing on my experience of 
life and my community's experience of life, but also our access to resources and um, our access to safety, right? There are especially um, trans feminine folks who on a regular basis, um, you know, are harassed, experiencing violence, experiencing murder, um, which we commemorate coming up on the Transgender Day of Remembrance of November 20th. Um, so, yeah, I can't stress enough how huge the lack of awareness and sensitivity is within the mental health community and the healthcare community in general um, when it comes to sensitivity for the lived experience of trans non-binary people. And I know that it's, um, you know, very similar in Germany anyway for people who know what it feels like to experience racism and how that um, translates into mental health. So I think this, you know, it's not unique or exclusive to trans non-binary folks. I think this is very much the case where a dominant culture is is sort of shaping the norm and anybody who isn't part of the norm falls out of the system. Mm. Thank you, Fox, for sharing. And you mentioned there that on the 20th of November, it's the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And we're actually recording this right now during um, Transgender Awareness Week. And I think the fact that we've got this Transgender Day of Remembrance really signifies that there's so much work that needs to be done to better show up for and better support the trans communities because, you know, there is anti-trans violence that's happening um, and there's a, the, a kind of data signify that. Um, how can listeners, in your view, champion the trans community better? You know, I... Maybe before like going into how can listeners champion the trans community, it's just important to me to mention that trans gender day of remembrance is not an easy day. Um, and it's a day where, for example, the trans murder monitoring project of transgender Europe every year publishes the numbers um, of violence perpetrated against the transgender community throughout the world, um, which predominantly is against trans women of color. Um, and these numbers are going up. And it's devastating to have this day. Mm -hmm. And it's devastating to have to see these numbers. Um, and I'm commemorating people in my life yeah. who have taken their own lives. And that's another factor, like the the suicidality rate inside of the trans community. It's so big because living a life inside of a world that continues to deny our existence and spit in our face is extremely tiring. And I am so tired of telling cisgendered people 
what they can do to support. Like they can start stop murdering us. Can we start with mm-hmm. that? They can stop spitting at us in the streets, calling us names, ignoring the fact that we exist. It's really not that hard, you know? It's essentially recognizing that we're all human and we all deserve to be treated with respect and dignity and letting that translate into every single process institutionally and every single behavior individually that we do. It's really, it's, you know, it's not something that requires a huge shift. It just requires us to finally be human with each other. Thank you, Fox, for sharing that. Um, did you want to take a moment? Sorry for getting so emotional, but this is a really emotional day. Please don't apologize. You know, there's nothing to apologize for. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't really have many words for just how, just how, just a bit disappointing, just very, very disappointing in humanity and how, the world is sometimes and I was thinking about quite recently kind of the how narratives and views and society has shifted with the gay community so if I think back to my grandparents generation and my parents generation to my generation I I've definitely have kind of heard from from them and also kind of seen within my lifetime the kind of the view views on um gay people have shifted there's still so much prejudice but i i've seen that kind of if if i think back to like my grandparents generation to now there's been progress some progress what are your kind of thoughts on progress within the trans community you know over the next 50 years like do you think that things are going to kind of improve. Do you have any views on that? I think it's really hard to predict at the moment um, because we're actually seeing a rollback. Um, We're seeing so many countries around the world like literally rolling back um, laws that were put in place to access for, you know, gender-affirming care um, for trans children in the United States, for example, we're seeing trans athletes um, being barred from playing their sports or um, engaging in their sports. We're seeing countries like, you know, Russia also using the trans community as sort of a scapegoat for acts of violence and aggression. Um Countries like Hungary um, also, you know, really instating new laws that go against the trans community. Um, So it's really, I don't have a prediction at the moment. I'm scared for our future right now. And 
It was recently um, International Day of Pronouns. And this is kind of, I guess, moving away from, from names, but, you know, pronouns are very, very important. And, you know, that we've spoken about kind of dead naming, but then there's also this piece about kind of misgendering, which comes in with using someone's wrong, using the wrong pronouns when you're speaking about someone. So I know on LinkedIn and all other platforms and, you know, in email signatures, people put their pronouns there. How does that feel for you? And is that a significant thing? Is it not? Like, how does that feel for you? It's so funny because this pronoun question um, is like, it seems like the predominant issue for non-binary people, right? It's like one of the only things um, that is discussed openly when it comes to non-binary identities. And I'm happy to see people's pronouns, not really for like the signaling um, of being an ally to the non-binary community or the trans community, um, because to be fair, it's a really weak signal and people are increasingly using virtue signaling, right? So, um, you know, like companies during Pride Month kind of changing their logo to the rainbow, but then actually not instating any kind of policies that manage to care for the queer, trans and non-binary community inside of their organization. So I'm wary of using that as a signal. I am happy to have a person's pronouns because then I don't have to pretend like I can read mm -hmm. somebody's gender based on the way that their name is spelled, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is definitely something that I know <laughs> not to be true. Gender expression does not equal gender identity. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to a world that is so connected internationally, um, I can't even guess a person's gender based on the way their name is spelled if it's like a cultural name that I've never heard or seen before. So I don't even have anything to go mm. on, even if I wanted to, which I don't. Um, so I think from that perspective, I am thankful for people using pronouns so that I can actually address them in the way that they want to be addressed. Um, but I also think that, you know, in the year 2022, we need to move beyond the pronoun question and actually addressing the fact that we are having this issue of people inferring gender identity from gender expression. We are having the real issue that as a non-binary speaker, for example, I get invited to events all the time where I don't have access to a restroom because they're all just male or female. So where do I go? Right. Um, and there are so many things, um, as you know, we were just talking about, related to healthcare, access to housing, access to any kind of um, sort of social security network, which is important for the trans non-binary community because our employment rates are historically low, right? Um, being able to move, being able to travel, all of these things are so much more, like, important to our lives than the question if somebody like is putting a pronoun next to their name not to say that again that's not helpful and it shouldn't be done but i think it should be the bare minimum like i want to stop talking about it i want that to be the um the case because it's just good manners yeah. right it's good manners not to assume things about people um but actually kind of you know ask or or have them 
if they want to uh, share their pronouns um, in in something so we don't have to mm-hmm. ask. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very much kind of the bare minimum and there is so many other things that have to be done um, to kind of show up and support. Before we um, hit record, we were speaking about how often in the kind of trans um, discussions around the trans community, the non-binary element or community within that is left out and ignored a lot of the time or kind of looked over. Can you share some of your reflections about that? Look, I think we have some work to do within our own community. Um, I think it's not surprising that a lot of us have internalized um, social stereotypes because we are all brought up within a system that is shaped by a cisgender dominant culture um, and that you know, oftentimes kind of assumes that there are only two genders, them being male and female, and and that translates from the very first days of, you know, a newly born human's life until the end of your life. And so I think I'm grateful for the trans folks who have come before me, um, even if maybe there hasn't been so much visibility uh, within the trans community historically on non-binary folks, because without them, I wouldn't be talking about, I probably wouldn't be sitting here anymore, right? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a language, I wouldn't have a vocabulary, um, and I wouldn't have the courage to show up as I do today. So I want to kind of acknowledge where we come from and acknowledge that we have a way to go. Right. I think, you know, none of us are free from um, the systems of oppression that we live in and the effects of that. And I think there is some kind of unlearning to do there and it's happening. Um, And there is certainly a reproduction of kind of binary gender um, segregation, if you will. And I think especially when it comes to like owning your identity there, there is a moment of tension with um, larger society that I think everybody experiences regardless of, you know, identifying as trans or not, like thinking about puberty, for example, right? That is also like a measuring up against larger society and trying to figure out who you are in relation. And I think what we kind of need to do as a community is realize that we're you know, we're a galaxy. There are so many multitudes of identities and that's brilliant. And I think we're doing us a disservice as a society at large if we don't allow every nuance and shade of the rainbow really to shine um, and are just restricting it to a small number of of options and of choices. And that doesn't just go for the trans community. It goes for everybody, right? Also, like... Um, st- gendered stereotypes for cisgendered people thinking about, you know, this idea that men can't show emotions, right? Or that um, women who rightfully get angry are seen as hysterical. Like, all of these things are limiting beliefs around um, how gendered mm, or gendered ideas of how we can show up in the world. And I think that's like a real gift that the queer and trans community is essentially bringing into the world that 
the breaking up of gendered stereotypes is really freeing for everybody if we allow ourselves to dream into that possibility. Fox, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for sharing your stories and experiences with us. Thank you, Maya. Thank you.